0: I don't know about you guys, but um, man, there are some times when worship just gets me ready. Let's go. Amen? amen? It's good this morning. Hey, um, it's good every Sunday. I didn't mean to say anything about that. Yeah. Well, BJ's not here. OK, good. No. Hey, um, this morning we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about grace. Um, grace is a, a theme that you're going to find from the beginning to the end of the message that god has given us in his word grace is going to be is the theme of what you're going to find throughout the message that god gave us in his in his son jesus when he came Um, grace is everything to us and um, i don't know if you guys i I, man we need grace like someone who's stuck now i've never been stuck in the desert before but i always imagine that if If you were stuck there for several days and you were looking for just your first glass of water, um, that's kind of what grace feels like, is when you're in this place and you don't have this one thing that you desperately need, and it doesn't just come as what you needed, but it comes as such a relief, it comes as such a comfort, um, that's grace. Now, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, you know, God's grace Is amazing even even the reflection of that that we experience in our relationships with one another uh, is is something that just we we live off of have you ever been in a relationship uh, a friendship uh, maybe your marriage in, in that relationship where with someone where you keep messing up in all the same ways you know what i'm talking about right i mean it doesn't matter what you do but you keep messing up now i'm not i'm not talking about like uh, those codependent kind of relationships where you're allowing someone and you're an, even encouraging and you feed off of that kind of stuff not talking about that not talking about abuse not talking about those things that sh- you know they cross the line i'm not also i'm not talking about not talking about where you have something to learn and you're just too lazy to, to try and learn it I just mean that way that as humans, we're broken, we're not, we just have things that go on, and, and the way that we just sometimes run into that thing, no matter how hard we work on it, it just keeps coming up, we're stuck in it, we cannot seem to rid ourselves of it, but in the midst of that, where we just keep making the same mistakes over and over again, have you ever found that person, that, that blessing that God brings into your life in a person who, in spite of that, they keep coming back with grace. Right? Now, it doesn't mean they let you off the hook for what needs to change, but somehow they bring in forgiveness, right? And they they release you from that kind of condemnation that otherwise would just totally, just totally bind you up and keep you from moving. They not only release you from, from that that the chains of condemnation, but they also they lift you up into a place of restoration where it gives you the freedom to, again, just to live and to keep moving forward, to keep growing, to keep growing in that relationship, to keep growing in yourself. It allows, it allows everything to come alive again. That's grace. And grace is an amazing thing. Grace is a thing that, that we all need, we desperately need as a part of who we are. Today, we're going to be looking at God's grace. God's grace is seen... In this story that we've been looking at of the prodigal son, Luke 15, and this is not just any grace, this is God's grace, God's over-the-top, abundant, constant, relentless grace, this unexpected, this unearned grace of God. So stand with me. Uh, we're going to be reading these verses where grace enters this story in Luke 15. Luke 15, 21 through 24. The son has just got home, and he says to his father, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you guys, the father doesn't counter that at all. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't say that. If heaven and earth were brought into this story as witnesses, they would all they would acknowledge the son does is not, not worthy to be called the son of this father. But, look how the father responds. The father turns to his servants to say, and said, quickly bring out the best robe and, have, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring out the fattened calf and kill it and let us feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Do you guys know that in that moment, if the father had just, all he had done, if he had just said, you know, write out what you want to say, send it to me, I'll take a look at it at some point, that would have been grace. After what the son had done, if the father had just sent a servant out with like a sandwich and a soda and met him at the gate and said, here, you know, this should sustain you for the day, but you can't be here. That would have been grace. You know, if the father had taken the son's idea and just made him the lowest of his hired servants, his hired men, and he would have just been able to go out and glean in the fields, you know, after everybody had cleared out everything else, he just kind of could scrap his way through life. That would have been grace. But that's not what he did. Because this isn't just about any kind of grace. This is a story about God's grace. And it's an over-the-top relentless, abundant, unexpected grace. And so instead, the father, he extends. He doesn't let the son off the hook. He knows what needs to change. The son knows what needs to change. But he meets him with a forgiveness and a restoration that lift him up to a place that he didn't expect, a place of honor and respect in his house, just like God does for us. He gave him a seat at his table and it wasn't just any seat. Today's message is titled The Best Seat in the House. Amen. Father, there are times that we, I think we live in kind of this, this twilight, halfway, gray zone between really living in the grace that you've provided and grace and, and, and then living in the desolation and the devastation that we've come from that you brought us up out of. And we're, we're halfway. We're, we're just, we're not quite there sometimes because we can't believe that you've done the things for us that you've said that you have done for us. We can't imagine why you would ever welcome us the way that you've welcomed us. We can't imagine why you would ever forget our sins and our failures, the way that you've forgotten them. We can't imagine why you would ever cleanse us and remove from us the reminders of what, <laughs> God, what jerks we've been to you and to others, what failures we've been in this pursuit of a life that is worthy of standing before you, of just being in your house. We can't believe what grace has done. Done for us so father this morning we need your spirit we need him to come into this place and to open our eyes in a way that only he can the eyes of our heart to that to do something supernatural in us to help us to see that which we cannot see because we need to see your grace We can't be changed until we see your grace. Jesus, Jesus. We, we will not be changed until we embrace Jesus. your grace. Amen, amen, amen. And, are in gra- and that grace embraces us. So Holy Spirit, come. Come and set this, this place apart, this holy ground this space, this time, and make it yours and speak, speak, speak to us, show us who you are, what you have done, what you have brought us in Jesus, what you have given us in Jesus, how you have forgiven and restored us, and the calling that is on us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Have a seat. So several years ago, we took a group um, from the church that we were serving in at the time. We took this group and we were going to a a conference that was in another state. And so weeks prior to that, we had purchased our um, economy class tickets. And um, what that meant was that weeks prior to that, we knew that the plane was full and that we were scattered all over this plane, all over the the cabin. Um, And so uh... we had we gone into the the airport that morning it was an early flight it was the first flight out and so we were getting there like five o'clock early in the morning and we're behind this other customer we're not the first ones there and um, we by the time we got up to the ticket counter there was one agent on duty and uh... by the time we got up there we were a little worried because we were starting to push the time because this person that was in front of us they were mad they were just angry Um, They obviously weren't a morning person. And on top of that, something they they really didn't appear to like the the seat that they ended up with as well. And so they had just berated uh, this agent. They had just completely shredded her. And so we walk into that situation and we knew, you know, on the one hand, we're kind of uh, wanting to get to the gate as soon as possible so that we make our flight. But on the other hand, we don't want to push because she's already having a horrible day, and so we're just kind of, we're like, God, you know, whatever you're going to do, here we go, and uh, we walk up there, and we said, um, you know, we're just talking casually and calmly, and she's working through it, well, she about, almost to the end of getting us all checked in, and she turns to us, and she said, she said, how would all of you like to be upgraded to first class, (laughs) and, (laughs) you know. I don't know that there's more than one way to answer that question, but, you know. <laughs> Unexpected upgrade, you know. I, that's really what grace feels like, isn't it? Right? Where you're walking in and you're, just, you're kind of expecting whatever is going to happen. It, and all of a sudden, there's something that's given to you, that's gifted to you that you didn't see coming, you weren't aiming for, it was out of the, it wasn't, it wasn't even in the realm of possibilities for you, and yet somebody had it in their power, and so they just handed it to you. That's grace. You know, in the story about the prodigal son, here's this, this young man who's come home, and he realized that he has no right to be home because of what he has done, what he's done to his father, what he's done to that household. He, he knows he has no right to be there. And that's what he ends up saying, I have no right to be here, I have no, I am not worthy to be called your son, he drops a plan that, but after acknowledging that, what does the father do? The father comes to him, and without, without taking away the accountability that the son has, that he has some things he needs to work on. That doesn't get taken out of the picture. That's fully acknowledged in this story. Without taking away the fact that this son has things that he has to change about his character and about how he goes at things. And about he, there are changes that need to be made, but that's not what the father leads with. Instead, what he brings out is forgiveness. A forgiveness and a restoration. He brings out a robe. He brings out a ring. He brings out, he brings out shoes for his feet so that they could be put on. That's what grace feels like. It wasn't expected. It was in the power of the Father to give, and he gave it. When we truly come to God, and, and you guys, there's, I said that on purpose, when we truly come to God, because there are times that we come to God, we come to God to try and con him out or something, Right? We come to Him and we're kind of trying to dodge and weave and not give up certain things but still be able to manipulate other things out of Him. We come to God sometimes untruly. Sometimes we come and we, we lead as if we are all that, as if we, we deserve His attention. We're so confident in our goodness and our good behavior. It's almost like, God, you owe me something. We come like that. You no, know, when we truly come to God and we recognize how broken we are, And we recognize what a mess we have been and what a mess we have made. And we recognize how dismal a situation we are in without him when we truly come to God. He meets us with forgiveness and restoration that take us out of that brokenness. That takes us out of where we have been. And he just over the top pours out his grace. Over the top, unexpected, undeserved. You guys, sometimes we live in that that nether world of just seeing that happen but not believing. Some of you guys know what God says that he has done for you. And yet how many of us live as if that's still not true? He said it, and yet we live in this kind of in-between place of I'm not sure that's working for me, as if we're the only one that that didn't work for. We don't always believe God that when he said in that moment, Psalm 103 verse 12, he said in that moment he has separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So when he looks at us, he does not see that at all. He's not bringing that into the equation of how he responds to us. We, we, we're not always sure that we believe what it says in Ephesians 2, 5 through 7, when it says where we had been dead, we were like corpses, rotting corpses before him. And While we had been dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. That's the kind of change that happened. But then he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. so that in the ages to come he might show the, this surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. That he might have illustrations in our lives of those that he could just, he, could, he wouldn't even have to, and it's not to boast about his grace, it's just to say, do you want to see the kind of grace that comes, that is just, this is who I am. He says, well, just look at their lives. And yet sometimes we live in the shadows because we don't, we're not sure that he's talking about us. We're not sure that how could this be. Because grace is God's grace. It's just short of incomprehensible to us. And yet we're not let off the hook, right? 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, that somehow he did this and he gave us all this because we're, we brought it with us. No. It says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us those sins and then to wash us clean, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To transform us, it says, into the image of Jesus. Yes. Yes, amen. Mm-hmm. And all the while... All the while that this process of going, is going on, of we're learning and all this, the, the spirit is taking up residence within our lives. He's, God himself is coming and dwelling within us. And it says that that spirit constantly, Romans 8, 16 and 17, is telling us that we are God's own children. He's coming alongside and reminding us of who we are. We're God's own children. And if we're children, then that we're heirs that were are heirs of God, we're fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. You guys, that's what grace is. God says it's, it's nothing less than that. That's his grace towards us. You know, in the Passover meal, which is uh, the Jewish people have been celebrating this for 3,500 years. They've been celebrating this, and it's when... God reached down in, in, into Egypt, and he took them out as a nation, and he brought them out of slavery and out of captivity. And he brought them out, and he established them as his people, and he led them, and he led them to his land. And, and they celebrate that in this Passover meal. It happens every year around the same time that we're, we're celebrating Easter. They're celebrating Passover, and there's a part of this, of this celebration called Dayenu. And they'll be sitting around with their their friends and their family at their table. And they'll be celebrating this Passover meal. And the leader of that will will throw out this line. He'll say, you know, if God had brought us out of Egypt and nothing else, and everyone says, it would have been enough. It would have been enough but he didn't, he brought us out of Egypt, but if he would have just then executed his justice upon the Egyptians for the years of slavery that we had suffered under, just that, and everybody says "Dainu," would have been enough, if he would have stopped there, if he had executed his justice upon their gods and laid them low and nothing else, it would have been enough, Dainu. And he goes on, if if he would have split the sea for us, if he would have then led us through on just on giant ground, and that would have been it. If he would have just destroyed the army of the Egyptians who were pursuing us, if he would have just um, provided for our needs while we were in the desert, if he would have just led us to Mount Sinai, if he would have just given us this law so we knew how to live before him, if he would have just brought us into the land, if that's all he would have done, any one of those, it would have been enough. Dainu. But then they go on and they say, all together, then how much more than should we express our gratitude for God, to God, for the numerous graces, gifts that he has bestowed on us, just poured out over us. Because he did bring us out of Egypt, and he did execute his justice upon the Egyptians and upon their gods. And he did split the sea and he did walk us through on dry ground. And he did and he did and he did. And they get to the end and they say he did lead us into the land. But even there it didn't stop because then he established his temple so that we could live in his presence and that our sins could be paid for. And here we are and we're living knowing that the story didn't even stop there. Yeah, that it just didn't stop with one, one nation ending up with a temple and him being their God and they being his people and, and they get to live in his presence and they get to have their sins atoned for. No, he didn't. He, instead, he sends Jesus. Jesus, who would be the Savior of the world. And he took us who were, who were far away, and he drew us near. And he didn't just draw us near and let us hang out near him. Instead, he says, no, I'm going to make you my own children. I'm going to seal you with my own spirit, and I'm going to give you a new name, and I'm going to wash your sins clean. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you mine, and I'm going to bring you into my family, into my house. And I'm going to give you promises. Second Peter calls them precious and magnificent promises. I, I, he gave us the promise. We who had been separated from the covenants and the promises of God. Instead, he says, no, now these are yours. The promise of resurrection. The promise of his return. The promises of a new kingdom. A new kingdom where it says that righteousness will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That everything's, all, all tears are dried. All sorrow, all sickness is done away with. Promises. You guys, just any one of those would have been enough. It would have been more than enough. Any one of those would have been grace. But this is God's grace. And God's grace doesn't stop. It just keeps pouring out, pouring out abundantly, overflowing the surpassing riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. You know, in our story, there are these three items that are used to show this grace that the father shows to his son. And in a general sense, they're just used to to show the honor. In in that day, a way that that someone could be honored. And so the father brings out a robe, the father brings out a ring, the father brings out these shoes. But in a very specific sense, to give us insights into some of the ways that God shows his grace to us. God pours out his grace on us. So there's the robe. The robe in that story was talking about, it. it's talking about the father's robe. It calls it the best robe. It's the first robe. It's the robe that he would pull out just for celebrations, for feasts and festivals that he would wear out to these, these celebrations with God's people when they're celebrating God's grace. Like at Passover, he would pull out this robe and wear it to remind people that we are dressed in this, this glory, this grace of God. He'd pull it out at Pentecost, he'd pull it out at the, at the New Year and at, at the Day of Atonement when they were celebrating together, this is God's grace. And this father pulls this out and he gives it to the son so that he can say to anyone who is seeing this son, I am not going to allow this young man to sit and live in the rags that he has earned for himself. The son was wearing what he had gotten right he was wearing what he had put together and the father says i'm not going to leave him in those instead i'm going to clothe him with the very glory of my house that's grace god tells us in isaiah 64:6 6, that even the best deeds that we can come up with on our own our own righteousness, the best that we can do, the things that we tend to wear like clothing out into the world so that people are impressed by us, the best we can think of, the best we can work out, the best we can plan, the best we can put together, the best we can amass, the best that we can do, he says, it's like like rags, it's like dirty rags. But then he tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He says that He literally, when we meet Him in that place, when we come and we truly come, return to Him, He says He clothes us in the very righteousness of Jesus. He says He he made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the very righteousness of God. He clothes us with the glory of His house, not because we've earned it, not because somehow we have in our ability, the ability to come up with these, this glory on our own, but so that we might walk in the heavenly places and we might walk on this earth and not be recognized for what we can pull together on our own, but be recognized as belonging to the one who clothes us with his own glory. Then the ring, the ring, the signet ring, You know, it was given, it was given to him because this ring represented authority. It represented authority within the house but it also represented the authority to do the business of the house even beyond the bounds of that house. When people saw that this son had this ring, they recognized that he, he walked in the authority of his father. He wasn't just coming in his own name. He was coming with the authority and the power and the, the backing of everything that his father was. Think about it, this son who had just squandered his estate, had just squandered a huge chunk of that household, put the house at risk, and what does the father do? He puts the ring of authority on his finger. And we think, God, what are you doing, right? Have you ever thought that? About, maybe it's about yourself, maybe it's about somebody next to you, you know. <laughs> You're going, God, what are you doing? Why are you blessing him like that? Don't you know who they are, right? Don't you know what they've done? We need to understand something about God. God is no fool. God does not extend the authority of his house to fools. Do you think that father would have given that ring to the son if he was not convinced that something has shifted in that son That that son was not standing in the same character, in the same posture, in the same position, in the same mindset as when he had left. Do you think he would have ever given him the ring? He didn't give him the ring on the way out the door. God gives us this authority when he knows that There is a change. It says that God doesn't look at the outside when he evaluates. He looks at the heart. He knows. He can see. He can see the deepest part of us. He knows our intentions that we don't even know about. And he gives us authority. You guys, if we think that somehow we can fool God, somehow we can con him to believe that we're all in when we're not, that that we can make him believe that we're all his when we're not, so that somehow we can get the equivalent of like the access code to his bank account? He's not that, he's not like, yeah, he's, he's no fool. Amen. He sees through our schemes. But when we return to him truly, he doesn't even withhold his own authority from us. He says that in Jesus, we are literally raised with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. He says that in Jesus' name, that we are able to to bind and loose things in heaven and on earth. In Jesus' name, we are able to grant forgiveness and to grant healing and to grant restoration and to grant transformation. Just that we are able to to make the resources of heaven available to others. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we can silence demons and we can give charge to angels and we look and we say, w- how, why? Really? I mean, we're those who just came in from squandering everything you gave to us. He says, because when we truly come to him, we are no longer our own. And we know it. We talked about this last week. I have nothing but the grace of God. I have squandered my estate. I have rags that I'm wearing. I have no shoes. I have no authority before anyone. I have nothing but my Father. And whatever he would choose to give, I'm no longer my own. The old is gone. It's dead. The new has come. I've been made alive again. And then the shoes. What are the shoes? Well, the shoes, you know, we talk about the shoes being, well, slaves didn't wear shoes, and so they're a sign of freedom, and yeah, there's that, but you guys, what do shoes do? Shoes give you stability. That's how they're always talked about in Scripture. They give you stability. In Ephesians 5, or Ephesians 6, 15, it says that God has given to us the shoes of the gospel of peace to put on our feet. We have a stability in our lives. Why? Because we are at peace with God now. Amen. The world can fall apart, and we are held by Him now. Amen. Everything in our lives can shake and just come unraveled, but we are bound to Him now Jesus, Jesus. by His grace. By His grace. There is no stability except through peace with God. And he has put those shoes on our feet. Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, so having been justified, not by your works, not by your abilities, having been justified by faith, just that God offered you a a, a gift and you, you, you accepted it. You believed what he said. Having been justified by faith, by the trust that you have put in him, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace by which we stand. We just stand. The only thing that gives us any stability in our lives is is the grace of God. So what does this mean? What does all this mean for us? You guys, one thing that comes out in this story that I I don't know that we take seriously enough sometimes That in this story, it becomes crystal clear that in our relationship with God, there is, there is one relationship in this universe that we have to get right. One, only one. The rest, everything else comes out from it. There's one relationship. we have to get right. and that is with our Father. We have to get it right. this relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. It, that relationship, if we don't understand that, if we are not connected, if we are not, if that is not, the that should be all-consuming in our lives. If we get that one right, if we understand the grace and God pours out his grace and we walk in the, the, all the grace that he's given us, if we can do that, everything else will fall in place. I, can, I, I will guarantee that. Yes. Yes. But if we don't have that right, nothing else comes in line. So there's one relationship. That relationship will not be, will not grow, will not be healthy if all you're giving it is five minutes on your way out the door in the morning. It just won't. It can't more important than that we spend our we spend so much time investing in relationships with other things with our with other people with our career with with endeavors with hopes and dreams and with we we spend so much time with our toys and with our just sometimes sitting around wondering what's wrong with us we spend so much time investing in other places and we don't invest in this one relationship that even matters because there's only one And we need to take that seriously. We need to remember, all that we have is the Father. He's the only, that's all we got in his grace. So we really ought to know that. We, We ought to know that well. We ought to live there. We ought to that, you know, Hebrews, it talks about fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? just keep your eye. it doesn't say fix your eyes on Jesus when things are going well and you have the time and you can give him the attention it just says fix your eyes on Jesus while you're running this race the race, will, the race will fall in place one, one relationship that matters second is this how do you enter that relationship we enter with humility yes. Yes. if we think that we're going to come and con God out of something I mean seriously really are we that smart no do we think that somehow God's impressed with what we bring? No. When we come in, humility is because we look down and we see the rags we're wearing for what they are. If we see our accomplishments as anything but just rags compared to the glory of God, we're missing it. We're, we're, not, we're not home yet. Those rags are what drive you home. You go, man, it keeps falling apart. This is the best I can do, and it still comes up short. If we, don't, if we don't look and see that we have no ring on our finger, no, we have no authority anywhere, we are, we are powerless, we are helpless, we are at the whim of anyone that has any authority whatsoever. We can scrap for the authority of this world at times. If we don't see that our hand is empty, it has no ring. And if we don't see that our, our life, how unstable we are when we are apart from him, we're not there yet. Because when we come to God, we come humbly first. Everything that comes into the kingdom comes in low. It comes in like a child. It comes in without any expectations, without any demands, just laying ourselves out and saying, you know what? All I know is I'm not worthy of this. So it's up to you. We talked about that last week a lot. So we don't, we come in low. And he says, when you come in, it, I love in um, James chapter four, verse six, it says, God gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. You know, again in James later, it will say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. First Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. We don't exalt ourselves. We don't make a case. We don't lead with that resume. We just come in low. And God says, and he will exalt you. So, first, one relationship that matters, that means with the Father. Invest yourself in it. Second, when we invest ourselves, we, we come in low, we stay there. When it comes to him, I have nothing. Anything that I have in my life that works or that has anything, it, it, it's from him. Any glory that shows it's his, any authority, it's his, any stability, that's his. All I have is him and his grace. But third is this. When he does lift us up, and he does, when he does call you, and he does, when he does clothe you with that robe and put that ring on your finger to do his business and give you shoes on your feet to give you that stability, don't go back into this false humility as if you're the only child of God that hasn't received the robe or the ring or the shoes. Don't go back into this, oh, just little old me, I'll just sit and wait till Jesus comes back. He has given you everything you need in Christ to be in, not just effective, just to be a member of his house, to do his business, to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. You're his child. You've been given a new name. You walk in and in the heavenly places, demons, demons, They are scared that you've walked in the room because they know what you can bring. So don't act like you don't bring it. Don't act like this, just pretend this robe isn't here, right? That's not reality. That's not not humility. That's, That's ignorance. You know, we need to learn. We need to get into God's word and say, what is this glory that he's clothed me with? Because I need to walk in it. It's not, a, it's not an arrogance, it's not a pride, but it is a glory. What is this authority that God has given me and this ring that he's put on my finger to do his business? I need to know what that is. And I need to be overwhelmed by the fact that what is he giving it to me? I don't know. That keeps you humble. But he's given it to me. What do I do with it? What are these shoes that he's given me? So that when things come crashing against you, you don't fall. So that when the ground begins to shake underneath you, you stay stable, you find your footing because of the shoes, because of the peace you have with God. You guys, that's the grace of God. It takes people like us who don't deserve anything, right? Gives us his robe, his ring, his sandals for our feet. And it takes us who don't even deserve to sit outside of his gate and places us in the best seat in the house. Amen.